I want to take us to a time in the history of the church, which is a time in the history of the people of Israel that's encapsulated in the book of Nehemiah about a guy named Nehemiah. And it was one of the uh, books written at one of the hardest times in the history of God's people. It was when people were trying to rebuild a city that had been destroyed, the city of Jerusalem. And if you want to kind of engage your mind and your imagination, has anybody here seen images of Ukraine lately? Post-shelling, post-bombing, post-airstrikes, the buildings, that kind of stuff. Okay, so imagine this was your home, and after being a refugee for some decades, you're going back to your home city in Ukraine, and you've been called by God to rebuild the ruins, to try to rebuild the apartments, to remove the rubble and rebuild homes and to rebuild churches that have been destroyed. Imagine that's your scenario, okay? And this was the story of the people of God. Not everyone had come back from Israel. There had been an exile, if you remember this, um, because of generations of unfaithfulness to the Lord. The Lord had executed his promised um, exile against them. He had promised them in the book of Moses that if you're unfaithful to me and you worship false gods and you try to reject me, you're going to get the big time out. You're going to get sent out of Israel for a number of generations until I call you back. And they were the people who had been called back. Not everybody came back. Not everybody had faith to rebuild. Some people stayed in Babylon and made a go for it there, but these were the people who came back. And Nehemiah was called back to Israel with a specific job. I'm just giving you background. And their job was to rebuild the walls. Ezra had come back a bit earlier, and his job was to rebuild the temple, the central place in Jerusalem, the place of worship. But when you lived in the Middle East back then, if you didn't have walls around your stuff, you're dead because you're surrounded by all kinds of people who will just come and take it and kill you. And so they needed walls around their city, and that was Nehemiah's job, to come and gather the people to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem so that they could rebuild their people and not just have it be destroyed by the enemies around them. Does that make sense? It's a time of restoration after total devastation, like stuff we, we haven't touched in the last two years, really. And trying to rebuild stuff physically so that they could rebuild stuff spiritually and not just have it destroyed by neighbors who wanted to destroy them. And in the midst of one of these events, as they're gathering back together, I think they've completed the walls by now, if memory, Bible memory serves me. We have one of the most famous lines of Scripture that you may remember. And it's this. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Anybody heard that line before, the joy of the Lord is your strength? Anybody sang a song that includes the joy of the Lord is your strength? Okay, this is where that line comes from. Calvary Church and people of Steinbeck, now is the time to not be grieved. 
Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now is the time to learn to not be grieved. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's stuff to rebuild. There is a future to lay hold of with power. There's confidence that needs to be had. There is hope that needs to be wielded. And there's work that needs to be done. Let's not be grieved. Instead, the joy of the Lord must be our strength. Okay, and if you're already there, you can tune out for the rest of the message, but I don't know if everybody is, so we started with the dessert, and now we're going to start hitting the main course. My slides don't appear to be showing up here, just FYI, and that's okay, because you always need to have a backup plan, but I'm just letting you know. All right. Let's go back into what was actually happening in this scene where these famous lines, which are very easily memorized, okay? Do you want to memorize this line together? We're going to repeat this five times. One, two, three. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You just memorized some Bible. Amen. Hoorah! Now you don't have to feel guilty about that non-memorizing fact of your life today. And I hope to touch on that a bit later. But let's get into the situation a bit more closely. Nehemiah is the governor over this area in Israel. They're actually under the power of the foreign government. Is it Darius at the time? Is it Cyrus? Doesn't really matter. But they're technically, legally under the power of a foreign government. But Nehemiah is there governing the people. And they've built the wall and they've come together to hear the word of God spoken. So they've physically built up the city. And now it's time to spiritually build up the city by hearing the word of God. Clear? Okay. And by receiving God's word with faith, their spirits would be built up and they would be able to be the people of God in their generation in Israel and accomplish God's purposes for them there. And this is what happens in Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 3. Oh, Press pause. So for the month of April, we're going to go back to this joy thing. I want to declare April Appreciation Month. Okay? And it's cool because there's like an A and a P and an R in it. Both words. It's not like super smooth, like let's Apriliation or, or like whatever. It does, it's not totally poetic and you can't make a bumper sticker out of this completely. But I want to call us together as a church to dedicate ourselves to appreciating the Lord and everything he's given us. To maximize our joy and our confidence in God by appreciating all the good he's done in the last two years or today. And everything he's given you by grace and everything that he's he's graced to us by kindness and mercy. Let's do it. We've got a few days to mentally prepare ourselves, then a whole month 
of finding things to appreciate. It will change your life. And it will cost you nothing except breaking some old habits. Amen? Amen. So April, I charge you in the name of the Lord to dedicate yourself to appreciating God and people and all he's done for this month and then see what happens. Anyhow, let's get back into the Bible. Awesome. So they've gathered together for this corporate Bible study. It's just like a church service. In fact, some people say that this is like one of the first places you see a church service where you have the Word of God encapsulated with a priest and Nehemiah. They're reading it and they're explaining what the Word means together as all the people have gathered and this is what the Word of God says. And all the people gathered as one man, meaning all at the same time together, into the square before the west gate that would have been a part of the city. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which would be probably the first five books of, of our Bible, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, and both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it. From, sorry, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. That's like six till noon. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And then I'm going to skip a few verses where it describes the people that were there, which for me is just a big mouthful of names I have a hard time pronouncing. But then it says, starting in verse 8 again, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading, which is kind of what I'm doing. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. What's going on there? Now, how I understand it, and it doesn't say exactly, so please file this under Rob's good ideas, and not necessarily exactly what it means. They're reading from the book of Moses, which has the law, And as they would have read, they would have heard God's um, Ten Commandments and they would have heard his stipulations, but they also would have heard his predictions about what would have happened to them if they were an unfaithful people. And they would have heard stuff like this. This is Deuteronomy 28, starting verse 58. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring on you and on your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Israel, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you in every sickness also. Verse 62, Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left in number, few in number, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, and you shall be plucked up off the land that you are entering to take possession of. 
And the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from the end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers had known. And among these nations you will find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. And he can go on from there over and over and longer. And so as I understand it, here these people gather together and they come to read the law of God and the law of God reminds them of why they're there. And all around them they see the destroyed buildings that haven't been rebuilt. And all around them they see the rubble of rebuilding the walls that hasn't been cleared away yet. And all around them they can see family members that didn't come back. And just the sense of loss because of their sin coming upon them and they would just weep and weep and weep for the reality of the situation. Does that seem like a reasonable interpretation of what could have happened back then? Now this is what's really interesting to me because we end up with a leadership moment. Okay, Ezra and Nehemiah, the scribes, they're reading God's word, and rightly so, and it is God's word, and it is true, and they see how the people are reacting, and they make a leadership decision. And they say to them, this is a holy day to the Lord. Stop crying. It's really interesting. This is supposed to be a day in God's holiness, and their expectation is that their meeting with God in holiness shouldn't be producing the weeping right now. They're looking for a different response. And so they say, Go your way. Eat the fat. And drink sweet wine. Okay, can we still be here, Steinbeckers? And drink sweet wine. Reasonably. And in proportion. And not before you drive. Like all that stuff. And drink sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet, meaning stopping crying. For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So they're in this land that's been devastated by sin. And they've inherited loss because previous generations had been unfaithful to the Lord. And they're in a situation where there's nothing but work to be done until they die, most likely. And they start studying God's Word, and they start getting discouraged and crying. And the leaders say, Stop! Stop, 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 stop. Because right now, you feeling condemned is not the will of the Lord. And you being discouraged is not going to help you do what God's called you to do. So pause. Now I want you to go do something. I want you to go eat some fat. Back in their culture, the fat was the best portions of the meat. But essentially what he's saying to them is like, go get the bacon. 
Stop at Chicken Chef. Hit up KFC. Take the drive-thru at McDonald's on the way home. Go to the keg for dinner. And give... Yeah, sorry. Put the fat in the schmoan. And enjoy good things from your maker. Because you need to know he loves you and he's for you. Or you can't do the people of God. You need to know that you're surrounded by his grace. Even in the midst of the rubble. Or you can't be his people. Not that you're kicked out, but that you have a mission. This is very interesting for me. I I want to be not misunderstood. So, if you can have a generous heart towards me. We, We have come through a time where the rightness of thinking the job is to be criticizing each other a lot has really been embraced. Right? Where, where, where as a nation, and God's people too, have ramped up the expectation that if we can just point out what everyone is doing wrong, then the kingdom of God will come in power. This holy day required stopping reading the parts where you're pointing out people doing things wrong and then going and eating the fat and drinking some wine, which was their version of pop. This is the sweet wine. but also has a few higher percentage points. And again, I'm not advocating anything. <laughs> Just reading the book out loud. <laughs> but do you see what I see here? There are some times where you need to stop people from being judged and judging each other, or you cannot have holiness. There's sometimes you need to stop criticizing people or they won't meet the Lord. Do you see what I see? Said the shepherd boy to the mighty king. If you don't go have a party, you don't know God, says Nehemiah. In this context, hello? This is a time for rebuilding the ruins. 
This is a time when courage and not discouragement is, a, is at a premium. This is a time when joy in the Lord is worth more than Bitcoin and is a better investment. This is a time for not wanting your brothers and sisters to feel like crud. And I'm just talking about this time. Now, an interesting thing happens right after this. They go home, they have a party, they eat the fat, they drink their wine, they play some Switch, they watch a little rom-com. No, maybe not. Those things suck. <laughs> they don't do the rom or the com. It's just dom-dom. Now, track with me here. This is what happens next. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of God. So they went home and they had their party, and this is them the next day. So they're at YWAM, they're in the lecture section, they're getting their Bible every single day right now, and they're on mission, but now it's a daily Bible study, and they're going, they've had their Bible in the morning, their party in the evening, and now they're back for more scripture. And then it says, and they found written in the law of the Lord that the Lord, sorry, the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olives, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. I don't know why they have to list all that stuff. But they, this is a sign of enjoyment. When people in the Bible, they're writing and they start listing things, it means they're having a good time. That's why making the, the temple and making the tabernacle take forever. They're having a great time. So go to the hills, bring all the, the leafies. And make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. Isn't that a good time? They had flat roofs back then, so nobody died. But they did it on the roof. Kids, anybody want to go tent on the roof, kids? And in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the squares of the water gate, and in the squares of the gate of Ephraim, and all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in booths. Now watch this. For from the days of Joshua, it says Joshua there, that's all good, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. Okay, just look at this example of restoration. They stop reading the portions that are making people feel like junk. They go and have a party. And then they come back and they realize that God had commanded them to have a week-long tent feast like 400 years ago, that they never did. 400 years from Joshua to that day is at least 400 years, could be almost 500 years. They never had the booth party. That's crazy. That is two and a half times the age of Canada. They never had the booth party. They didn't have a party. They missed Christmas for 400 years. And when God brought them back in this time, He didn't want them to just restore the walls. He wanted them to restore the tent party. 
that was never, ever done. Well, no wonder they didn't want to be faithful to God. They stopped doing all the fun stuff. They gave up on the joy of the Lord centuries ago. No wonder they went to idols. No wonder you don't trust Christians. No wonder you don't like church. You're not doing any of the fun stuff. No wonder you don't like Steinbeck. We're not doing all the fun stuff. Partying, forgiving, loving, showing grace, eating the fat, drinking the Pepsi, waiting until summer to have the roll cucumber. Why do we have such a reputation of church being the boring place to go in town? That's stupid, and it's a fail on our part. And you don't rebuild anything with the suckfest verses when you have the party verses being disobeyed. That's the book. You're not going to fix anything without joy. You can tell the difference between somebody who loves to build a house and doesn't love to build a house. You can tell the difference between somebody who loves to bake and somebody who does not love to bake. You can tell the difference between somebody who loves to fix your car and who does not love to fix your car. And everyone can tell the difference when a Christian has the joy of the Lord and when they don't. Amen. We have the best thing ever. Does your heart tell your brain you have the best thing ever? <laughs> we have Jesus, the creator of the universe with all the lists of everything we've done wrong, come down to earth and destroy it on the cross, rising again from the grave to sit on the throne of heaven, to have absolute authority over all heaven and all earth, having earned the right to send the Spirit of God into the church. And once the Spirit's here, what's the number two thing? that he wants to make that's called fruit? It is? Did nobody go to Sunday school here as a kid? This is supposed to be Steinbeck. You're all supposed to have this memorized. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Come on. And when you got the love and you got the joy, what does it lead to? Thank you. You have the best thing ever living in your chest. The Spirit of Christ who loves you and forgives all your sins and has done everything and will do everything to bring you home to the Father so you can dwell with Him forever. Yeah. Buy a tent. Okay, I'm going...
too long. So, I think April should do a bunch of things. I think it's time to give yourself a month of only using Scripture for joy. Maybe you'll end up falling off the log on the right side, but chances are for a long time you were falling off the log on the left side. Why don't we make the mistake of having too much joy in the Lord from Scripture instead of too much not joy from the Bible? Just for a month. Then you can go back. (laughs) Join in the Philippian thing. That's amazing. Number two, I think it's time to take a month of letting people off the hook. That's what the leaders did. They had every right to say when people were grieving and weeping, they could have just said, and you earned it, guys. This is justice. This is truth. This is justice. But they were good leaders, and they stopped, and they said, we are not going anywhere with the people of God stuck on the hook of the past. You need joy. You need fat. You need wine. You need to have fun with your family. You need to leave each other alone. You need to have lots of fun. And then when you come back, you're going to discover that you've never, ever seen that God commanded a party. For 400 years, you never saw that in the book. So I think we need to let each other off the hook like crazy. Here's where I'm going to lose some friends. You cannot do any good by being concerned about what's happening at Southland or what's happening at Crossview or what happened at Hope Church or what's happening in Blumenort, let it go. Let it go. It will not help you. It will not help you to carry any of that into the future. It won't help you. It won't help you. It won't help you. Only carry things that will help you. God's given you a helmet. He's given you a breastplate. He's given you sandals. He's given you a belt. He's given you a shield. And he's given you a sword. Carry those things. Just bring those things into your future. You've got the gospel. You've got the spirit. You've got the blood. If it doesn't help you, ditch it. If it doesn't bring joy, get rid of it. It's gone. It's not going to help you. Don't bring it into the future. It won't help you work. It won't help you build. It won't help any restoration. You can live like this. That's what the cross is for. It's where dead things go to stay dead. That's what the grave is for. That's why the clothes stayed in there. They are meant to stay dead. If it doesn't help you, it's dead. Don't you want an open future with the Lord? Friends, don't you want an open future with the Lord? We've got to find a way to not be grieved because only the joy of the Lord is our strength. And maybe you'll need help and maybe you'll need prayer, but the most important thing is your setting your heart on mission to be free. That will make all the difference. I speak as to brothers and sisters in the Lord, people who know Jesus and have the maturity to know their own hearts. Isn't it true that the only thing that sets you free is wanting to be free and applying the power of God to this desire to have an open future in the Lord? Ultimately, no one can make you free but you and your faith in Jesus. So own it. Own it. Own it. You can be free. But it's, it's about this. Freedom is here. Freedom is here. 
Freedom is here. Freedom is here in Jesus. Greg, are you going to preach a message about Paul and Silas coming up? Chained to a wall frees people in the world. True? Best worship on the planet in prison. True? You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Did anybody have the list start running in their heads, in their hearts, when I said that stuff? Yeah. You can be free. You have to want to be free. But you can be so free. It's true. And we can help you. But we can only help you if you want help. Number three. It's time for appreciating God's goodness in creation. Guys, we're in a building with the biggest skylight you've ever seen. This is great. It totally wrecks all this stuff. But isn't it a good trade-off? This is amazing. Go crazy for good stuff. Go to the store and buy the passion flaky. (laughs) That was gross. Don't do it. Get the Twinkies instead. I'm not saying ruin your diet. I'm not saying hurt yourself. And if you would rather eat the meat or if you enjoy a nice cup of tea. But like, it's time to remember afresh that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And everything is to be accepted with thanksgiving because it's been... We rejoice and we enjoy each other. And we, we don't... We're being grateful. We've got sunshine. We've got spring melt. We've got chickadees. We've got... Geese! <laughs> Thank you. Though I would prefer animals that don't always leave such humongous bombs and can fly at the same time, but it's like... At least they're on our team, Canada geese, you know. But even that's amazing. Enjoy it all. Enjoy it all. Enjoy it all. It's yours to enjoy. It's from your father. Get happy. Be happy. Enjoy the kids. Enjoy the teens. Enjoy your parents. They're, they, they're yours. They're yours. Amen. And there is something to be grateful about them. Kids and parents and everything all about. Ah! And number four, it's a time for seeking rest, restoring our faith. And I was just talking about this, but again, I'm going I'm to belabor the point because these are, these are days, Christians. These are days that people write history books about. These are days where people look back for the rest of their lives and say, this happened then. These are those days. And so if, if we will set ourselves to the building of the kingdom of God above all else, he will use us. Amen? That's right. 
If we will set our hearts to inflaming our faith and freeing our brothers and sisters and forsaking the past in order to lay hold of the future, it will be ours to the glory of God with things we can't imagine yet. But these are those days when everything's changing and we get to decide if they're changing for the better. Amen? So... Let's let it go. Let, let's let everything be about following Jesus in these times. We're going to worship. Now, church, is a time for strength. Whatever makes you strong in the Lord, that's your friend. Whatever makes you weak in God, that's future roadkill. And I'm not preaching a guilt trip like you're not reading your Bibles enough. Do you know how many times I hear people, how are you doing the Lord? Well, I'm not reading my Bible enough. Kill that stuff. Kill it. It's not helping you to feel guilty about your Bible reading or not praying enough. If it's not joy in Jesus, I love you guys. I want you on fire. Nobody gets on fire for Jesus by feeling like they don't read their Bibles enough. Am I right? Prove me wrong. So ask the Lord for a passion for Scripture. I haven't heard one time this guy said, stop reading your Bible until you can start doing it again because you want to. Because you just do it as a chore and you don't love it. And God is the God of joy. So, we're going to pray. Sorry, I promise. I'm not keeping my promise here that we're going to pray and you guys are waiting. Where's the prayer? (laughs) Father God, I give you this city of Steinbeck. And I give you a people in this room, everyone valuable and precious to you, with potential and a calling, and hurts and pains. Father God, I claim your promise in Scripture that you are the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies, and I pray for the power to see every hard thing as a gift that enables us to build your kingdom better in this world. Father, I grace everybody by prayer to be inflamed and impassioned for the Lord Jesus Christ and to find the way of holiness that includes outrageous joy infection. Lord, some of us just need to go eat together and laugh, laugh, laugh. And I pray you would do that. Lord, I know there'll be hard times again. There'll be times for correction. There'll be times for rebuke. Amen. I say yes to your plan. But today, Lord, I ask for mercy and grace upon your churches of Steinbeck and that we would be empowered to be great forgivers that carry no grievance so that we can do good according to God's measure and power. And Lord, use me first. You know I suck at this. But God, I would rather die than not see the fullness of your potential in me and in this church If you're not going to do this, just take me home. I want the heart of God. I want the heart of God. I want the heart of a God who would sacrifice his son for his enemies. I want the heart of God for this people. I want the heart of God for this city. You have blessed us with so much trouble in the last two years so that we can wake up to the nature of God and we can appreciate Jesus and we can be truly filled with the Spirit of Christ. Thank you. And may each one of us lay hold of Christ for what you've called us to and all God's people.